HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Visit Ithaca. Ithaca, New York boasts an authentic craft beverage experience, tasty farm-to-table culinary adventures, and scenic outdoor recreation among 150 waterfalls. Plan your trip today with help from visitithaca.com. Hey, this is Hannah, HRN's program manager. It's HRN's 10th anniversary and now our summer fun drive. So show your support for independent, revolutionary, entertaining food radio by becoming a monthly recurring donor. HRN is powered by a passionate community of thoughtful eaters and we need each and every one of you to show your support so that we can keep bringing you your favorite food podcasts. It takes a village, and every dollar donated, every listener tuning in is essential to our continued success. So set up a donation for $10 every month. You'll show us that you want to be a part of a bright future for HRN. And you'll get one of our brand new limited edition Pizza Pocket t-shirts. So snag your new favorite tea and show us some love, all for the price of about two fancy lattes each month. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate today. And thank you. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and we're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, June 12, 2019. This is the 217th episode of the series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a global leader in the food world and executive director of a major organization of food professionals, and I will introduce her fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip. Later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to be an effective leader. But how exactly does one do so? So I recently attended the Welcome Conference in New York City and heard Simon Sinek speak. He has the third most watched TED Talk of all time entitled, 
How Great Leaders Inspire Action. Simon gave tips on leadership, including having a just cause, cultivating trusting teams, having competition and a worthy rival, plus flexibility and the courage to lead. Now, none of this is easy, but it is all possible. So learn to lead, probably first by going and watching Simon's talk. That's my tip today. Now, I'm really excited to have my guest here with me in the studio. It is Tanya Steele. She is a global leader in the food world who is, direct, is currently the executive director of IACP, the International Association of Culinary Professionals. Tanya is, <clears throat> is the award director for the Julia Child Award, an adjunct professor at NYU, and author of Food Fight, a mouthwatering history of who ate what and why through the ages. She conceived Canada's food, Kid Food Nation, as well as the Healthy Lunch Challenge and Kids State Dinner with First Lady Michelle Obama. She's the former editorial director of Clean Plates, Epicurious, Gourmet Live, and Gourmet.com. She was an editor of Bon Appetit and Food and Wine, a writer for the New York Times, and a best-selling cookbook author. She's won many accolades. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Sherry. And I always get choked up whenever I... Uh... <laughs> talk about myself too, but, but ch- choked up in the sad way, not in the happy way that you were getting choked up. <laughs> yeah, no, something got in my throat there for a minute, but I, yeah, I was, I mean, I have to say though, your background and reading this bio and I cut it down is so impressive and I don't know how you've accomplished all of this and I want to dive into it and find out. At least let's start with your background, like how did you get into the food world and editorial positions? Because I remember meeting you many, many years ago when you were with Epicurious and, and Bon Appetit, uh, but there was something happened to happen before that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, I think what happened to me before that, which is true with so many people in the food industry, is that my mother, God bless her, is was and is a terrible cook. I mean, to this day, you only want to tr- trust her with tea and coffee. I mean, but that's very important. Those skills of tea and coffee are extremely important. So bless her for that. But she grew up in Africa and grew up uh, in a household where she never was allowed to cook. And so um, consequently, when we came to the U.S., I was born in London. We came here when I was a little girl. And um I started to realize that she was A, a bad cook, and B, there was actually really good food out there, and I wanted to get some of it. And I had this epiphany moment when I was about seven or eight years old watching Julia Child on PBS and and watching The French Chef. And I realized, oh my goodness, actually, roast chicken is really not that difficult. You just put it in the oven, you know. (laughs) Um, You you hopefully don't drop it on the floor like she did, and you put it in the oven. And uh, that's about all you have to do to make something delicious and healthy. And so um, that's when I started cooking. And and, um, I I really do think that Julie Child, I always say she's one of my patron saints. I just... I love uh, everything she stands for and, and was, and, and um, so I take a lot of inspiration from her. But that's really how I started in the, in the food profession. I just realized that there was great food out there, and I wasn't getting it. So at what age was this that you started cooking? It was really early. It was really about seven or eight years old. And my mother just, you know, she was young at the time and didn't think anything, you know, worry about me with knives and, and heat. Um 
and we, I just started to cook for the family. And um, that's one of the reasons why I've worked so hard to get kids in the kitchen um, and to get them to be really interested in cooking and, uh, you know, trying every type of food and, and being kind of embracing the world of food and, and healthy food specifically so that we can really kind of get this generation to be the healthiest, strongest it can be. Yeah, no, it's so important. Did you go to college in, for journalism or did you, what was your, how did you get, get your foot in the door in, did you think you wanted to work in kitchens when you were younger or or what, what did you, once you were cooking and you were inspired, uh, what, what career were you looking at? You know, it's an interesting question. Um, when I was uh, in college, um, I would never considered going into the kitchen or being a chef. And in fact, at that time, which we're talking about the early 80s now, so I'm, you know, you can tell I'm, I'm getting up there. Um, uh, it wasn't, being a chef was not a thing at that moment. There were some chefs that were becoming personalities, um, but it was not a big profession like it is now. And you were certainly not a rock star the way, although they were rock stars, but they were unrecognized rock stars. Right. So um, I went for journalism and my first job um, out of college was at Mademoiselle Magazine. And I wrote for, uh, I wrote a beauty Q&A column, which is hilarious. I think about it now um, because it was, you know, help. I, you know, my boyfriend hates my purple mascara. What do I do? You know, and I would write the answers. Um, but I realized that that um, beauty and fashion were not what I wanted to do, um, and that food really was. And there was an ad in the New York Times, and yes, there were classified job ads in the New York Times at that time, and I answered it, and it was for Food and Wine magazine. And um, I guess this was probably the mid to late 80s by that point. And I had an amazing uh, interview and got this great job for assistant um, editor and worked with this amazing team that taught me so much under Isla Stanger, who was the editor-in-chief at that time. And I learned through copy editing, through fact-checking. I used to fact-check Robert Parker's wine column. Um, You know, all of the kind of the big eminence grease of today are people that I would, you know, um, copy edit recipe, copy edit, um, fact check, um, and then eventually edit. Um, And it was such a great training ground. I think anyone who wants to be a writer really should be a copy editor first because it really makes you think about the kind of the recipe of the words that you're using, kind of the formulation that you're using. So that was an amazing training ground at Food and Wine. And it was a fantastic time to be there because um, this was really the time when American cuisine became a real thing, a recognized, respected cuisine around the world. It was the time of, um, you know, Michael McCarty and Alice Waters and um, all of these people starting to come to the fore and California cuisine becoming kind of a, a big thing. Nouvelle cuisine had kind of been the wave um, at right before that, and then American cuisine really came into it, and Jasper White and all of these people. So it was an amazing time to be at Food & Wine because I got introduced into this, this incredible world of people that were creating, you know, kind of new ways to look at food, particularly with American ingredients. Yes, absolutely. And I was thinking back, I had a, uh, I had an internship at Food Arts Magazine, and I did fact-checking of the articles, and it certainly was a great way to learn and get to know people in the industry and learn. So I didn't get as far as 
I did little editing and writing. Now I do some writing, but definitely it's an amazing background. So then you talk about a bit about Epicurious and um, Bon Appetit. And I mean, all these publications you worked for, I remember when Epicurious launched. I mean, that was a big deal because like the internet was all of a sudden a big thing. But what was that experience like? And how were these publications a bit the same and a bit different? You know, it's very interesting going um, from one to the next, and I don't think that many people have done that. I think I'm one of the the more unusual uh, anomalies to have have worked at kind of all of the major ones uh, at one time or another. And they each had their own personality and their own mission and their own philosophy and their own voice. And so kind of understanding what that voice was and trying to contribute um, and make the voice even better in any way that I could possibly do it was really an amazing thing. And um, uh, when I was at Bon Appetit, um, I was there for 10 years. It was a fantastic job. And I ran the New York office because it was based in Los Angeles at the time. And it was, again, a very creative, interesting time to be there. Um, chefs, the sh- celebrity chef uh, philosophy and um world was really starting to take off at that point so um it was really kind of we were really reporting on who what when and where more than anything else and also giving a reflection of how american consumers were really uh reflecting what was going on in restaurant kitchens restaurant kitchens really led the trends at that time uh, way more so than than they have before or after it's really interesting to think about how we cook today and how we cooked then um it really was very much inspired by chefs. Chefs are still so incredibly inspirational, but we don't really try to aspire to cook in the same way that a chef does anymore. I think we're, um, as a people, much more focused on kind of authenticity and using local ingredients and doing it in a much more simplified way um, while still appreciating what chefs do. But at Bon Appetit, it was just uh, a really uh, wonderful time. It was uh, I made so many friends there that I'm still friends with, and it really kind of inculcated um, myself as a writer and an editor, which at, at the end of the day, I, I think of myself as a writer. Um, but when Epicurious started, it was really 2005. Um, it was uh, not the dawn of the Internet, but it was certainly one of the first on the Internet, certainly one of the first food properties um, on the Internet for sure. And um, I came there, uh, let's see... Maybe I came in there. Let's see what my dates were. I think I came in there 2005. I think it launched in, in 1998 is what it was. Um, and when I came over from Bon Appetit, um, it was uh, a recipe database primarily with content right. from the magazines from Bon Appetit and Gourmet and Traveler. And um, I was so lucky that uh, Connie Nass said to me, you know, we're going to trust you with a little tiny amount of money and a little tiny team and you can just go and do whatever it is that you want. And, um, so I was so lucky that I had the freedom and the kind of the creative license to do what I wanted, which was to make it a fully functional standalone, uh, food editorial product on its, you know, on its own without using any other, um, content from other properties. Um, although we did use all of the recipes from the magazines, which was fantastic and a gift. 
Um, so it was an amazing time. I, you know, I remember um, just learning so much. The transition from print to digital was insane. It was, I always say, it was like going from zero kids to two kids, which is what I did go. I had twins. Right. Um, and so it was just the learning curve was intense. And I remember thinking, what are all of these acronyms? You know, what are you talking about? CMS and all this kind of, you know, what's an app? Um, I remember being in a meeting and someone coming in and saying, there's a, a company called Apple and we need to, uh, they're going to make something called an iPhone and we need to make something called an app. And I don't know what an app is. And we'd have to kind of figure out what an app could be and what would you want, <coughs> what kind of food w- me. would you want on the phone? So, um, you know, and that's how we created the Epicurious app. So it was in a really amazing time and just uh, it, I feel so lucky to have been at, at the beginning of all of these things to um, help, you know, get my own learnings and, um, you know, contribute in my small way uh, to all of these things. It was really a blessing. You you did incredible with it. I mean, that's like an understatement <laughs> of the year. I mean, where it where it was where it where it's gone, it's it's quite oh, quite remarkable. You. Well, it's, you know, I'm just so lucky that I've always had an amazing team of people that I work with. So everyone, I always say, you know, um, forget about marry up, hire up, you know, always just hire like the smartest, most wonderful people you can ever find. And, you know, you'll, you'll do great. It's like making a perfect plate of pasta. You know, you just get a few perfect ingredients and that's all you need. So that's really true with a team. That's a great tip. Okay, let's take a little break here, and we're going to come back. We'll talk more with Tanya, so stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by Visit Ithaca. Located in New York's Finger Lakes region, Ithaca boasts an authentic craft beverage experience, tasty farm-to-table culinary adventures, and scenic outdoor recreation. As the saying goes, Ithaca is gorgeous. The city is home to 150 waterfalls and gorges sprinkled through its downtown and sloping hillsides. State parks and acres of natural lands offer outdoor recreation for every level of enthusiast. Come stroll among the cool ravines, scenic hiking trails, and natural vistas. Ithaca is home to Ivy League Cornell University and Ithaca College, resulting in an influx of new cultures, new tastes, and new energy every year. There's so much to explore, from art galleries and museums to unique attractions like the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. Ithaca sits at the heart of a blossoming heritage and craft cider industry. Some of these delicious ciders can be bought in market, but many of the most unique varieties can only be experienced with a visit to Ithaca and this great cider region. Go to visitithaca.com to get inspired and plan your trip today. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Tanya Steele. She's the Executive Director of IACP, the International Association of Culinary Professionals, which I want to get into. But before we do, we have to talk for a minute about Michelle Obama, (laughs) because you conceived Canada's Food Kid Food Nation and Healthy Lunchtime Challenge and Kid State Dinner with the First Lady Michelle Obama. I mean, how how did you conceive this and work with with Michelle Obama. I'm fascinated by that. 
Well, it's really a, a dream come true. And, you know, I always tell um, kids, try to dream big because you never know. You can actually accomplish it. So it's important to have the dream first. Um, you know, as, as I was saying earlier, cooking uh, with kids has been a big thing for me uh, ever since I was a kid. Um, when I had my own kids, I realized I didn't really know how to feed them properly or healthfully. And so I ended up writing a book called Real Food for Healthy Kids. And um, anyway, I was in um, at Epicurious in my office above Times Square, and um, on my phone, I saw the phone rang, and I saw XXX is the number. And I thought, oh, someone from the New York Times is calling me because, you know, when they call you, right. it's a, a X'd out number. And I thought, oh, it's just a friend of mine. So I pick up the phone and say hi. And um, they said, hi, we're calling from the First Lady's office. And uh, we have your cookbook, and we, we really like Epicurious, and we wanted to talk to you about helping us promote Let's Move. And I said, oh, yeah, right, who's, you know, pulling my leg? And they said, no, no, we really, it's really us from the First Lady's office. Wow. So that's how it started, and, um, yeah, insane. Um, and then it's, like, very soon after I found myself at the White House going um, I think I was at some event for chefs, um, and it was the beginning of Let's Move. That's what it was. Um, and so I started coming up with concepts to see if they would do different things to help move the ball. And uh, one of them was this idea that I've wanted to do for many years, which is a national recipe competition for kids. Um, and so I pitched the idea to them, and they, they said, you know what, we can't really do this. It's a private-public partnership. That, that's what it would take, and we've never done that, and so we don't think we can do it. So I was really bummed and, you know, kind of went home with my tail between my legs, and um, uh, probably maybe two or three months later, they called me back and said, you know what, we've reconsidered, and if you can kind of engineer this, then we would be willing to do it. So... I got the Department of Education and the USDA uh, in the room as well, and, and we worked with the First Lady's office and the White House lawyers and Condé Nast, and then uh, we got a few sponsors, I believe, and created the first one. And so it was just an amazing thing uh, to, to see an idea come to fruition. And the, the way that the idea had come to me initially was uh, there's a very famous photograph of Bill Clinton shaking JFK's hand, and Bill Clinton is a teenager. It's a black-and-white shot. And you know that the moment that Bill Clinton, as a 16-year-old, shook JFK's hand, that that changed the world. That moment changed the world, for good or for bad or whatever you think. That was a moment that really, you know, kind right. of had a ripple effect. And And so I was in the shower once, and I thought, wouldn't it be amazing to have that ripple effect with you know, President Obama and Mrs. Obama be able to give a kid that moment where they touch, you know, the hand of greatness and um, are so inspired and aspire to be the greatest that they can be. And so that's how this whole uh, idea came to me, and that's why I pitched it to them. So anyway, we uh, had the first one, and I was kind of um, sequestered in the green room, which is next to the blue room, which is the main kind of uh, public room that you see all the time, it's that famous room now where Comey is standing next to the curtains and he goes and shakes uh, Trump's hand. That's that room. So I'm standing in the room next <laughs> next door to it as every family has, is coming, having their photo taken with Mrs. Obama and then leaving. Um, and as they come into my room, the green room, which has uh, got the oldest things in the White House, it's got the um, James Adams... Um, John Adams uh, tea set, and it's just this amazing, gorgeous room. Um, people were crying. And so each time they would come 
uh, into the room and cry, I would cry. And it, it, it was such an incredible, I mean, just chilling moment of just beauty and joy. And I thought, God, if I could only do this, you know, forever and just keep this going. So we did it for five years. And um, I then uh, talked to the government in Canada and said, you should do something that is inspired by this. Um, not the same thing, obviously, but something that has the same mission statement, which is really to get kids to um, feel excited and, and energized about cooking and eating healthfully. Um, and so we started Kid Food Nation. So uh, it was really an amazing, amazing experience. I um, I spent quite a bit of time, you know, so in the in the White House. Um, I was probably there about 20 times. It was just, and each time, I mean, I would just get chills. Like, this is where Mary Lincoln and Lincoln were. You know, I mean, just FDR and Eleanor Roosevelt. Just, uh, it just, it, it freaked me out each time. And I always said to the kids the night before, because we would have this elaborate sequence where all of the kids were um, flown to Washington, D.C. on the weekend in July, and they all attended the kids' state dinner, and they were all announced like prime ministers. And so the night before, I would um, give them a little speech, kind of like what to do and what not to do. You know, I want my kids to behave, whether they're my kids or, you know, someone else's kids. Um, but I would always remind them that this is an incredibly important moment and that they're here for a reason and we expect big things. And in fact, um, at the White House at the Kids State Dinner, I would speak and then I would have a kid speak and that kid would introduce Mrs. Obama and Mrs. Obama would speak. And then the president would come and shake everyone's hand and he'd say a few words. And, you know, it's just this just incredible moment. And I still am in contact with so many of those kids who have gone on to do miraculous things as I knew they would and started, um, you know, nonprofits and charities and just have gone on to be just stellar human beings. And I just know they're going to be just huge leaders. I'm I'm pretty much speechless. <laughs> really, I, I, incredible isn't a good enough word oh. to describe that and what you've done and what this whole program has done. And actually, when I was looking at the, you know, at at that you had this in Canada, I was thinking, oh, maybe she's from Canada. <laughs> you know, I was that was initially my thought, yeah, but you're yeah. not. No, you know? I'm from England. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. it's just th- that you've been able to. Uh, and be the, initiate this and have this mm. relationship and this experience. It's it's incredible. It is incredible, and I'm I feel so lucky that it happened. And I do want to do it throughout the world. It's one of the things that yeah. I really would love to do. And I almost did it in the UK in my homeland, but um, it didn't work out at the last second. But I, um, I do really want to do this as something moving forward. And- I I have no doubt you you won't do it. Like you're you're just one of those people who you make this stuff happen. So, but we ha- let's talk for a, a little bit here about yeah. IACP because yes. you joined as ex- executive director what last year? Yes, last fall. Um, I took it over, and uh, you know I've been a member on and off for many many years. Um, and the organization has gone through you know peaks and valleys, and has grown and contracted and. Um, I was excited about the idea of, of running it because I love that it's in some ways it's kind of a rebirth and a blank slate in that 
we can kind of make it the what we want. And I think that food has gone through and food media has gone through such an incredible transition. There's been such an earthquake in terms of journalism and food journalism and um, the food world and the uh, industry and much of it for good. Um, so I want to take this moment to really make this an organization that stands for something that really has a national voice and an international voice that makes a big difference using the universal language of food. So um, that's kind of my mission. Um, you know, our mission statement is to empower, engage, and educate our, our members and to kind of spread the power of food, um, to use it in the most powerful way we can throughout the world. And um, so I'm kind of just getting started. Yeah, and you recently had your ICP awards or the conference yes. in, what was in Santa, Santa Fe? Santa Fe, yes. I was just following it on on social media, <laughs> and, and I heard I heard really wonderful things oh, about it. Oh, thank you. Um, I definitely need to attend in the future. Yes, when these that would be wonderful. They're they're really um, what's great about them is that they are really a kind of a meeting of the minds, and so we really wanted to give people some things that were inspirational. We brought a lot of interesting industry leaders like Danny Meyer and Nathan Miravold and Jessica Harris and Deborah Madison and Lois Ellen Frank. Um, we really wanted to touch upon indigenous cuisine because we were in Santa Fe, so we had a, a ton of amazing Native American chefs and uh, seminars and panels about Native American cuisine because it's really our first cuisine. Um, and uh, we also then had a lot of skill-based um, panels and workshops, you know, about yeah. doing Instagram and video and all of the stuff that everyone needs to know at this point. All right. So how many members are there now and who, who should become a member? I think anybody who is really into food uh, should become a member. I mean, uh, because you can attend events that are... Uh, very special that you don't get access to if you're just a regular person. So, uh, for instance, um, we're doing an event in July, July 1st in D.C. at Duomo um, with Carla Hall, and she's signing um, her latest cookbook, and she's going to be interviewed by Kristen Harkey of The Post, and um, it's going to be this really wonderful thing, and it's very inexpensive. Um, likewise, we're doing a sustainability wellness summit in September, uh, in New York City, and I'm hoping to get really some major voices come and speak about how we can all live more sustainably and why it's so important for us. Um, so I'm calling it healing our body, healing our planet. Um, but it really enables you to connect with people that are in the industry um, and people who are social influencers um, in the food world and really just kind of visionaries. So it's, it's a great organization to be able to meet others that are really passionate about food. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let me ask you, or let's play back my question from my last guest. So on episode 216, I had on Pascaline Lepeltier. She is Master Sommelier. She's an MS, MOF, MSF. She's what? She's oh, my goodness. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> this is the right description. She's also, she's the managing partner at Racine's uh, restaurant in Tribeca. So uh, let's play back her question for you. Um, I would ask her how uh, today we can continue the education of food and wine professional in terms of the new challenges we are facing in our food system. How do we provide the understanding of the quality of nutrients our ingredients needs to have in order not only to make tasty food, but better food? And how is she going to work with the chef around to make that happen? 
Well, that's really a, a great question, and it's kind of what I was just talking about with our summit. I mean, our sustainability summit is really revolving around how to create a better food system, um, a, a food system that's more equitable, that's more nutritious, that's more sustainable. Um, and I, you know, my answer is always to go to the experts, so that's what we're going to be doing in September. But I would say that... Um, all of us, every single day, can make a difference um, in every bite that we take. And so being thoughtful, um, and when I say thoughtful, I don't mean mindful. I mean thoughtful about what we eat and what we buy and, and what we dispose of and, uh, you know, the, the issue of food waste, which is gigantic. I mean, especially in restaurants that are apparently throwing away 40% of their food. So that's an insane number. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just a, a waste, you know, uh, of in every possible way, both for the restaurant, the earth, and the consumer. So we do need to kind of grapple with this question. Um, and I think we need, it really takes a, a kind of a multi-sector, you know, multi-pillar bunch of stakeholders to come together and try to figure this out. Um, you know, the great thing is that it, it just really needs to start with one person. And so I think that if um, enough people focus on this issue, there will be a significant change. And one thing I really love about this generation the, of millennials is that they are very, very laser focused on this and, and as they should be. Um, you know, this is absolutely the existential crisis that we're facing as an earth and we need to really focus on it. Um, one of my sons, I have identical twins and one of them is um, interning at the amazing Harvard Smithsonian Astrophysics Center, which still gives me chills that I, when I get to say that um, <laughs> as a proud mom. And he and I were talking, and he was saying, you know, I want to figure out how to use AI to help climate change. I was like, OMG, that is a beautiful <laughs> idea. What? No, that's what you should be doing. Totally should be doing that. So I think there's going to be all of these, you know, all of these kids are are figuring this out, you know, and trying to put a laser uh, focus on how to stop what is, you know, the, the death of all of us at some point if we don't really stop what we're doing. Yeah, I hear you. Great question, great answer. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's take another break here and we'll come back. We'll play my speed round game and talk some industry news. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Tanya Steele. It's time for my speed round game. So what this is, is I name a couple things and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Oh, wow. So it's a choice. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. I think you're going to be good at it. <laughs> you're good at everything. <laughs> How can all. you not be not good at, at it? <laughs> okay, here we go. Eat in or eat out? 
Eden. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Definitely wine. Tasting menu or a la carte? Definitely a la carte. Small plates or large plates? Hmm, I'm going to go with small. Communal table or chef's counter? Ooh, that one's a hard choice. That's a Sophie's choice. Um, (laughs) Because I love talking to chefs and watching them cook. That's so fun. It's very relaxing. But I also love talking to random people that I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That would be a tie. Okay. You had some definitely's there. So this is evens it out with a tie. Right. How about tipping or all-inclusive charge? I think I like to do tipping just because I like to tip well because this is a profession. Um, So I'm going to go with that. Editing, writing, or teaching? Something hmm. else you do? I think definitely writing. I'm a writer uh, in my soul. So my, in my book, I just wrote actually Food Fight, uh, which was right, a, we uh, didn't talk about yeah, that. a mouth-watering history of who ate what and why through the ages, which is a book for kids with Nat Geo, all about the history of food and the history of the world. And writing that was just, uh, it was incredible. It was just a beautiful experience. Torturous, because I had to learn the history of the world and the history of food. But it was so much fun. And write about it. Yeah. No, that's, but you did. I did. It took three years. (laughs) That's, I mean, it's awesome. People need to get it. Yeah. It's on Amazon. I know. I found it. Saw it there. Okay. A couple more. Michelle Obama or any other first lady? Oh, my goodness. There's no comparison. Michelle Obama. Yeah. I had a feeling you might go (laughs) with that. Two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. But that's another Sophie's choice, but yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Manhattan or Brooklyn? You know, I grew up in Manhattan. I'm going to have to say Manhattan. All right. Yeah. Great. That's the game. <laughs> that was fun. fun. Yeah. So I always think it's fun hearing people's answers, <gasps> yeah. what you get stuck on or what's hard for you, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. not for others. <laughs> okay. So industry news picked out this article in the New York Times about how the Four Seasons is closing less than a year after reopening. And this article is by Florence Fabricant. So this is everyone, I mean, famous restaurant, opened in 1959, the original in the Seagram's building, the Four Seasons, and it closed and it reopened last year. Um, Read they spent $30 million on reopening. it was known for its power lunch. I mean, I've seen some other articles talking about power lunch is dead, but uh, they're 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 pulling the plug. They're not they're not going to keep going. And it's you know it's I think it's sad when restaurants close. Mm. It's um, I think they really gave it a, a try to mm. reopen. Yeah, and you know I'm a huge uh, um, avid buff of New York City history. I think New York City history is fascinating, and they were so much a part of it. I mean, as you said, they were around for you know a good fifty years, and they. They really were the place to go for lunch. I mean, I yeah. had the great fortune of going there a couple times, and you would walk in and you know into the into the pool room, and just see literally you know Philip Johnson just sitting there with his little black glasses, or Helen Gurley Brown, or you know, and people would flit from table to table, and you know, I'm sure millions of dollars of you know of deals were made during those martini lunches. But as everything else has changed, so has the notion of the power lunch. And, you know, now a power lunch is like, you know, a yoga class and a, you know, kale smoothie. So that's the power lunch of today. Um, And so it really, it defined an era. And I guess that era is is now officially over. 
Yeah, you know, I went, I did one of my solo dining experiences there. I went to the new reopening, and I'd been to the original, and I'd been to the pool and the grill, and it's very special. And I actually had a really wonderful meal at the new location. I, I went for dinner. The food was excellent. It was it was a little, I don't know, it was, it's interesting doing a revamp where I could see they're, they're pulling from the, the old space but creating new, and... Um, I had a really great experience. I think I think price point was tough, you know, it's expensive and also the New York Times reviewed it uh after it reopened and it demoted it from two stars to one and there was a you know between there was also much criticism or or pointing out um Julian Nicolini, one of the owners, um had uh, he, he was he was resigned it came after this article but there was a lot of accusations of sexual harassment and things that came out in the news so it wasn't all happy great press for them I think it was a, a struggle in a sense coming back and actually I read some I think some people uh, thought the New York Times review you know didn't focus really on the food didn't focus it focused more on on the owners and, and history a bit so I don't know I don't know how much play that goes into it or not but um I had a great experience there and again I think it's 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 sad when restaurants close so well, absolutely and that's people's livelihoods and families who are going without money and for sure I mean it is very sad it, it there has been a reckoning though which is so interesting to have watched um in it kind of at the speed of light and all of these giants that, you know, I kind of grew up writing about and knowing are, are all gone because of the behavior that they exhibited, yeah. you know, which was, you know, now that I, I, I never saw any of, of what has been reported by all of these, you know, different for all of these different people. And it's shocking to me that that went on. I mean, I'm really, I, I know I must be naive or something, but I just, I'm just so shocked by what was going yeah. on in so many kitchens. Yeah, no, true. And yes, things have gotten cleaned up and it's 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 good for the future yeah. of, of and and um I was thinking to tie into this. I went the other night to Pastis, which has reopened. Mm. And I had a really lovely experience. I think I'm going to talk about it on my show. Food was great, service was great, and here's like similar yet different. I mean, a restaurant that was very well known, and it closed. It moved down the block in the meatpacking district, and I think this new revamp is fantastic, and I think it's gonna thrive. That's my prediction. But, wow, I um, hope so. Well, we'll knock on wood for them. Yeah, but it's <laughs> interesting. But it's it's yeah, it's pastis is like different, but mm -hmm. the same like legendary New York restaurant. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, but I think people should check it out. I I had a good experience there. So. Anyways, let's take another break, one more break, and then we'll come back. We'll do my solo dining experience, and we'll have the final question. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network.
Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. So this week, it's at Nobu Doha. Here's the rundown. The location, Four Seasons Hotel in Doha, Qatar, or I think it's pronounced Qatar, but I've been saying Qatar, so I'm probably saying it wrong, but it's Q-A-T-A-R. It's far away from here. The concept World-class, new-style Japanese cuisine. The chef, Nobu Matsuhisa. So why did I go? Because I had a 12-hour layover in Doha on my route back from Bali to New York City. And why not check out the restaurant scene? It's what I do best. So my experience. I stopped by there. Um, it was my second meal once I was there. And I first went to the Four Seasons Hotel, the main lobby, and I was told by a nice gentleman that the the restaurant is actually in a separate building, so they drove me over there. Uh, I It's a lovely space. I had a wonderful server who took great care of me. We talked about New York and how I knew the owners, uh, Drew and Tracy and Nippor in New York, and, and it, was, it was really a great experience. So what did I get? I had the whitefish sashimi with dry miso and a half order of the black cod butter lettuce. So my take? The fish was great. It's there. I got this dish because it's a signature dish of the Doha location compared to the hamachi with jalapeno, which everyone knows in New York is one of their signatures. And then the black miso cod is also a signature, and I just you can't go wrong with that. It's like just one of the most delicious dishes I could on eat the it. planet. Yeah, I could eat it anytime, <laughs> and it was just as good over over there. So, um, yeah, really great. Okay, so the ambiance, it's a really nice space. It's on the second floor of the separate building uh, that has a a skyline view. It has outdoor seating, and inside there's a large sushi counter, dining room, there's a separate bar area. It's pretty big. I'd say it's perfect for going solo or maybe date night, uh, sushi date night in the Middle East. Interesting tidbit. So Nobu Doha is the world's largest Nobu restaurant perched on the Arabian Gulf. There are 22 Nobus worldwide. And Nobu's first location opened in New York City in 2004, and that's with partners Drew Nipporent and Robert De Niro. Personal fun fact. So after, during this layover, what else did I do? Uh, well, I tried to go to the Museum of Islamic Art, but it was closed because of Ramadan, and it was so hot at it. it was like 110 degrees there, so I was looking for indoor activities. So then, that's why I also went to another restaurant. I went to John George's Market Restaurant at the W Doha Hotel, and that was great. And then in the evening, I went to the Souk Waqif Market at night. That was my 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 itinerary for my layover and it was uh it was pretty cool so the cost of my meal was 54 dollars. would i go back sure if i was ever ever over there i don't know if i will be but you never know uh their website is fourseasons.com backslash doha so there you go god that sounds amazing it was it was pretty it just kind of feels surreal like did i really do that was i really over there eating Miso black coffee. <laughs> yeah, amazing. And how are you still standing with all of that jet lag? It's crazy. Uh, it took me. It took me a couple of days, but yeah, yeah, it's quite a trip. Um, but yeah, very cool. So, let's do the final question. So, I'd like you to ask a question for my next guest. I'm having on Ellen Bennett. She's the founder of Headley and Bennett, which is a Los Angeles-based handcrafted apron company. So, Tanya, what would you like to ask hmm. Ellen? Well, um, 
Ellen, I have a question about your aprons and their functionality. Um, I, in my book, Food Fight, uh, the last chapter is about 2050 and what we're going to be wearing and eating and growing um, at that point. And I'm wondering if aprons, like clothes, will be uh, using heating elements within them. So scientists said that they are going to now have clothes that have either warming um you know, uh, embedded within their um, the fabric or cooling. So you literally will walk around with like a little heater in your clothes or a little air conditioner. So Ellen, are your aprons going to be air conditioned or heated, do you think, in 10 years? She's probably already working on it. Yeah. No, that's cool. Good question. That would we'll be find such out. a great apron to buy. Can you imagine? <laughs> You're really hot in the kitchen and you put on a cooling apron. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I I always I have cold hands and cold feet all the time, so I just want I want the the warm the warm gloves that like you can function in, you know. <laughs> you can get then the the heated apron that that yeah, she'll be making that so. has pockets or something. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. That's for me. <laughs> all right. Let's see. Let's see if she's gonna do it. All right. Or we'll do it now. We'll see. So that's the show. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, you're. You're amazing. I don't know how you've accomplished everything you have, but it's so impressive. And just the fact that I know you and I'm going to continue to watch <laughs> everything you're doing. Um, I'm excited. So congratulations oh. and thank you. Thank you, Sherry. It was really wonderful to be on. And as are you amazing and exciting and wonderful. So Aww, thank you. You're for, so sweet. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> Come back anytime. Thanks. So my guest today is Vintanya Steele. She's the executive director of IACP, which is the International Association of Culinary Professionals. Their website is IACP.com. Your website's TanyaSteele.com. Mm-hmm. And social media at IACP Culinary or on Instagram, it's what IACPPIX. Yep. And you're at Tanya Steele. Mm-hmm. So you can follow all of those and you can follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR at All Industry. And my Facebook page is all in the industry. My websites are bayerpublicrelations.com and sherrybayer.com. All of our shows are archived at heritageradionetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Matt. And thanks again to Tanya. So heads up, next week, we got. Uh, it's not going to be Ellen yet. Next week, I'm doing a fun on-the-road segment from my trip to Bali where I have two interviews with Will Goldfarb from Room for Dessert and Ray Andrencia of Locavore. So I'm going to be doing that next week. And then the following week, I'm going to have Ellen on my show. So I hope you'll tune in to both of those. And um, thanks. I'm Sherry Bayer. Uh, thanks for being part of all in the industry. Bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? 
rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.